Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, BIV's tech panel on AGI, Olympic tech, and Vancouver's ability to attract tech talent. On September 11th, BIV's Business Excellence Series is back with our Women in Business panel. You can hear from business leaders on the topics of equal pay and how successful women rise through the ranks. The event will take place at the Vancouver Club. I'll be moderating, and I hope many of you can join us. You can visit BIV.com slash BES-WIB for details. And BIV is accepting nominations for a number of awards programs. These include the BC CEO Awards, Influential Women in Business, and 40 Under 40. Visit BIV.com slash events for details. Joining us now for our weekly tech panel, Ali Portad, CEO at Progressa, and Linda Faucus, CEO of Glue Technology Society. Thank you both for coming on. Hi, Haley. Thank you. Well, just when you think you've figured out the implications of AI, Microsoft recently making a big, splashy $1 billion investment to develop AGI, or artificial intelligence. Which one of you is going to tackle explaining the difference to me? Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Okay. AI is what we're living with now. Uh, AI is good at, re- at really, really good at one thing. So we program AI with a bunch of data to tell it, here are all the possibilities for, let's say, playing chess. Now go practice a whole bunch of chess games, um, learning from the data pool the humans have given the machine, and that machine plays against a human and crushes it. So that's really impressive. But if that machine played against a three-year-old at checkers, it would lose. So it's just good at one thing. That's what AI is. AGI is when we have a machine that has no pre-knowledge of the outcome. It just has the data like a human does. Here's the world around you. Start to figure out things uh, in that world. So there's no end game in sight for it yet. It's learning as it goes, as a human does. And so an AGI has the ability to be smarter than humans has the ability to create patterns and see things uh, that humans can't see and, of course, do this at light speed. So if we gave an AGI the goal, like uh, Wozniak, Steve Wozniak from Apple, has the coffee goal. That's right. Send the AGI into the house and say, make me a cup of coffee. So the AGI has to get into the house. It has to find the coffee and make the perfect cup of coffee. Um, an AI could never do that. An AI could tell you the types of coffee you might like based on your tastes or what mug you should use or the process and the temperature of the water. But the AGI has to solve all the problems of getting into the front door and finding the kitchen and understanding all those pieces. So that's AGI. And AGI is the Westworld. That's what we're seeing in Westworld. Um, And people think that's maybe 20 to 50 years away or never. Uh, That's possible. And it's the technology that will make us the second smartest species on the planet, which is why people freak out. It's a big difference. I think I would ask the question, have we got AI right yet? And why are we focused on AGI? Do we have, well, AI, I mean, right being good at the task we give it. So stacking boxes in an Amazon warehouse, they're getting pretty good at that. And humans will not be required for that job. Go to willrobotstakemyjob.com and see the jobs that are being replaced right now right. by AI. And AI is is good, I think. It's it's accurate. It's fast. It doesn't complain. Yep. Uh, it works 24 hours a day. It doesn't need a union. So I guess what concerns me with AGI, if you go back to that coffee example, um, and you know you you stick you send a robot into a home and say just go and make me coffee, 
the robot needs to use some discretion, doesn't it? To, to be able to make coffee. I mean, it needs to find, it needs to be able to identify what a coffee maker looks like versus something else. It needs to uh, probably test to see if it's plugged in, make, make sure it works. Uh, there's a bunch of things it needs to do yeah. in order to, uh, to actually make a good cup of coffee. Just like a human, right? So how do I even know what a good coffee is? Because I've had a coffee. And, and how do you I've, put controls around that? That's, well, and that's the beauty of an AI is that it will learn those controls as it goes like a human does. A human r- learns that when I run down an uneven road, I'm going to fall on my face once in a while. I need to pick my feet up, stand up straighter, change my stride. An AI would learn that after falling on its face probably once. Right. <laughs> And then practicing a billion times in 48 seconds and it'll never fall on its face again. So AI, AGI's ability to learn as a human similar, it's it's modeled on the human brains so of learning similarly to humans takes all those various inputs. But you're right, we can't, no one, AGI included, without preset data can make a good cup of coffee without knowing what is coffee and how do we like to drink it is it cold is it hot is it just going to is it just going to aspire to making a good cup of coffee or is it going to aspire <laughs> to other things well so that's the, again that's so an ai an ai <laughs> would be a coffee maker barista goodbye baristas at starbucks but the agi will probably create versions of coffee we've never imagined right mm-hmm. Or gets bored of making yes. coffee and wants to and run for president. Or wants to run for president of the United States. Yeah. And yeah. says, humans, you don't need coffee. By the way, we don't need you. Party over. The plot of every sort of Absolutely. sci-fi dystopian movie. Absolutely. But on the flip side of it, when we talk about things like solving climate change, I think we're talking about the capabilities of AGI, right? These complex, sophisticated issues that have unimaginable amounts of data points that you need sort of computational capabilities to figure them out. That's AGI, Well, AGI would be an an impressive partner in solving climate change, but I think AI can get us a long way there. We're having a hard time. Firstly, we still have a debate across the border of whether this is science fact. Is climate change science fact? Yes, it is science fact, right? And so AI might help us better uh, understand the effects of climate change on our environments, the effects of what we're doing in our micro lives on the environment, how we can see patterns in climate change that humans haven't yet identified. That could be an AI specific task. We don't need AGI for that, but it would be quite impressive to see what an AGI is. I mean, AGI, I find quite creepy. It's, yeah. it's, I, well, it's, a, it's a scary place to go, but it, it is. And I can tell you one of the problems is we we have the hardware now for it. Right, the quantum quantum computing quantum computing has been now around for two or three years, and uh, and Microsoft, IBM, uh, Google, uh, they've all made significant investments in quantum computing, and so that's what's going to power AGI. And AGI itself, the theory is, will power itself because AGI will look at our cute quantum computing technology and go, "Okay, nice try," but actually, here's how this stuff works. You see, so so it leapfrogs our intelligence in ways we really can't imagine. Um, and that's why some people are saying, um, yeah, it's not going to happen. We're, it'll always be somewhat siloed. It'll always, an AGI will generally be good at one area of expertise, not all of them. But that's but AI. That's a simple task. That's AI. AI. Yeah. yeah. So if, if they're going to so, go down this path and a billion dollars is going to get, mm-hmm. uh, you know, backstopped here by Microsoft, um, yeah. you know, it seems like there's an investment to take it a step further. Big time. And, and a lot of will to take it 
to AGI. AI is interesting and we're nailing it, but AGI, you know, a billion dollars from Microsoft is going to be spent in less than five years over at the Open AI Institute. The Open AI Institute is trying to create AI for general knowledge, right, for yep. all of us to benefit from, where Google's work, Google seems to be the leader on the planet right now, being heavily challenged by the Chinese AI. Um, but that's work that's being siloed within Google. Google's just obviously going to keep that for themselves. So AI is saying, yeah, we're going to let everybody have it. Microsoft's going to be our exclusive provider of cloud uh, technology or cloud services, but uh, they're a significant partner. Amazon's a partner in open AI. Mm -hmm. um, yep. What is his name? What is his name? Elon Musk. He's a partner in AI. Peter yeah, Thiel. So it's kind of an interesting lineup of people who are partnering over at AI and OpenAI, and hopefully they are going to stick to their word that this is going to be products and technologies that we can all benefit from because it's, it's a difficult world we live in if all of this AI research is going to be done by private companies. They, they all seem to have their own take on it as well. And uh, like one or two of them are talking about putting chips in your brain and just leveraging AI using human the human brain. Mark Zuckerberg even talking at Harvard. Did you see that, that one? Yeah. Saying, yeah, well, I'm going to, as he's riffing on this two-hour conversation at Harvard, saying, yeah, and, and we're going to, I'm really excited about the technology of using your thoughts and your mind to control your map through Facebook. And the law professor who's interviewing him says, okay, what? Right. <laughs> Who's going to sign what up for that? What are you talking about? <laughs> so talking about your personal data, your most personal thoughts. Yeah, and AI over at Facebook is really, really impressive, right? So this is a, these will be interesting and fascinating and scary conversations over the next decade or two, for sure. On the topic of AI, when we reach the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympics, it's actually going to be the first applicable large-scale in-practice version of AI security infrastructure, which is really interesting. Ali, it seems like it's, of course, all about the sport, but at this point in time, there's so much buzz around the technology. Is this really yeah. going to be a showcase for tech? Well, I, I remember being here in this room for the last Olympics, and we were talking about uh, all the technology that was at the last Olympics. And uh, and we were very fixated then on on AR. Actually, AR mm. was uh, was really on showcase at that at that Olympics. They were using it for all kinds of amazing things. They had it on the TV when people were running, and they had the you know the speed sort of going along with the, with the runners. You could be sitting on the stands and be wearing goggles and be right on the on the track with 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 some of the athletes. And so there was all kinds of amazing AR at the last Olympics being showcased. And it's exciting to see obviously the next evolution of this. Uh, obviously, they're leveraging other technologies and security is a big focus. Privacy is a big focus. Not surprised. Uh, but there's all kinds of other cool things too. Robotics. Uh, yeah. They're going to be testing, uh, you know, ushers. They're going to be testing people, bringing people, bringing people food with robots. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of really cool applications that uh, are going to be on showcase this time. There's yeah. some javelin fetchers too. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah. The golden retrievers of the AI world. Yes. Yeah, go right fetch. That's all they want to do is fetch that javelin <laughs> or the shot put or whatever the yeah. heck. But this is Japan. You know, the oldest population on the planet is Japan. They've been working heavily on robotics to complement the care for their their seniors in their country. Um, and so this is, for from a glue perspective, for me, this is a really going to be awesome to see these robots actually working with humans in ways that aren't um, too disturbing, that are actually supportive to our environment. You'll be able to sit in your seat and use your tablet and order your drinks, and the yep. little robot's going to drive it over to you. And using these robots around the country and around the world to 
bring the Olympics into those environments. So on, I don't know if you noticed that robot that's the big, tall video screen. It's a big, narrow yeah. video yes. screen. So you'll be able to see the, uh, the athletes and the celebrities and the people at the Olympics, even if you're in Prince George, let's say, if you happen to have one of these robots in your community. So bringing robots into our daily life is what I think this is going to really show us how they can shine there and help us um, be you know, they'll be useful, not very fearful. They're cute. They have little emoji eyes and <laughs> they wave and they're short. It always starts there. <laughs> you can always take them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, one of the questions I have for both of you is after a game comes to a city, you're often left with legacy infrastructure, which can be really great. We have the Richmond Oval. We the have the Canada Line. Exactly. Good things. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to some of the things that will be rolled out, like facial recognition, this AI security, what happens once the games leave? Are they just in these cities? Is that is this potentially a gateway to rolling out infrastructure, technological infrastructure that then stays? Well, you're China. That's what China's doing now with their yeah. entire population. So that's what 300,000 people are going to be logged into the biometric um, yeah. systems over in Tokyo. Um Probably, I'm guessing, a very impressive use of AI and and all of these uh, recognition systems for security. You so how do you not have yeah, them? You can't argue there's there's a heightened security risk for the Olympics. Yeah. So they're going to have to have something for the Olympics. But whether that leaves a lasting negative legacy after is yet to be seen. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, I'm thinking how will when if you're an organizer of a massive event like this, wouldn't you kind of on an insurance level need to have it? It's like, okay, this is how we're going to ensure that every single worker here is a verified vetted worker because we're going to biometrically yep. scan everybody. There's going to be IDs, facial, voice recognition. I don't see how it's going to be, how it's not going to be part of every major event from here on if this goes well. Uh, I, I, no doubt. No doubt about that. I just wonder if some of the infrastructure they create to monitor and, uh, you yeah. know, monitor people in the population going through. Tokyo and other uh, cities is going to remain there after the Olympics is gone. Yeah, that'll be. And what will it be used for? Yeah, exactly. I think that's where you were going yeah. with it, right? Because well, <laughs> on one yeah. side of the coin, they have something crowd forecasting system based oh on how individuals are moving. They can forecast, I guess, is there maybe someone in there who is going to do something bad or is the mob about to start? Amazing technology, but at the same time, if it stays, I mean, you can analyze hundreds well, of thousands of people. So when, so when you think about it, though, you know, if there is, uh, you know, it can be used for good, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're monitoring crowd populations and, you know, maybe it helps you know how much police presence you need or make, maybe it helps you know how many ambulances you need in the area just in case uh, somebody gets hurt. So there's probably some practical use cases for the technology, but uh, where it, um, you know, infringes on people's privacy and and uh, and rights is is the question. This might just be the first Olympics that takes the legacy of the Olympics beyond the borders of the country holding the Olympics, right? That's what I meant kind of is that sure. this, this technology is basically, there's a big beta test we're going to see with Panasonic and NEC and Toyota. Yep. Um, I thought the heat map technology was interesting, how they can use the Yahoo data and pinpoint where these hot spots are, where humans are at risk of, of heat stroke uh, with crowded places little heat bubbles around the um, venues. I thought that was an interesting use of the technology to help humans stay more comfortable, physically more comfortable and safer, having mm -hmm. enough ambulances there to take care of them if needed. So the ripple effects of this beyond Tokyo are significant. This is all technology that's been worked on and tested in Japan for many years and 
this is where it shines. This is where the world sees our robotic partners come to life. So interesting. Yeah. And and like for good uses, but I don't know how I'd feel if I was on holiday in Tokyo in 2025 <laughs> and a little robot appears giving me water because they identified they do, that I'm you're checking in a hotel right? and he's there. They're there yeah. checking. Yeah. He, she, it checking you into the hotel. The, the waiters are robots. It's just it's yeah. I mean, you see the robots movie. here in North America at conferences, and they're they're such a novelty, but they're prevalent there. Yeah. Right. They're yes, actually they are. they're actually using these things day to day there now. Yeah. We'll Maybe see. we'll see it here one time. <laughs> Bringing the conversation back to Vancouver, Apple actually eyeing downtown Vancouver for a potential expansion, according to a report from Bloomberg. And according to CBRE Vancouver, they say Vancouver is really attractive due to the low cost of operating a business. Of course, maybe it's a low cost for multinational <laughs> tech companies, but for local businesses, they have something else to say. Is this just more of the same of what we've been seeing, Ali, big tech finding desirable traits in Vancouver and wanting to come here? Yeah, it's a it's a big conflict for the province and for the city. Um, you know, attracting these 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 large conglomerates to Vancouver brings jobs and brings brings net new jobs and brings uh, uh, significant money into the city. Uh, taxes, uh, tax revenue, as as well as uh, just flow of money because these the, these technology uh, employees are are making you know a higher wage than your average employee. Uh, the flip side, of course, is small to medium-sized business, startups. Uh, there, There is a limited uh, pool of talent here for technology people, and it will become more limited. And so, uh, you know, you, there, there's a sort of a counterbalance, and uh, that's that's the question the province needs to ask. And, and if they're going to support an Apple coming to the city, they need to have compensating, fact, you know, steps in place to, to deal with it. So we might have some of the lowest wages for tech workers anywhere. In North America, but we have some of the most expensive living conditions here. So how are these people going to come here to work for Apple? Where are they going to live? Um, so we, we've we got to solve that piece, too. We want to be this hub, which Toronto is obviously doing an excellent job at. How are we solving that housing issue? And, and I'll add the, the wage inflation for a technology employee in Vancouver is probably probably one of the highest in North America, I have to think. Mm. So it's, it's increasing at a very rapid rate. And so you know, an uh, Apple bringing 3,000 more jobs, basic supply and demand, it's going to drive prices up, Yeah. right? Because there's just not enough talent here. So the minute they come in and they start offering, you know, 30, 40% more, that's just going to inflate the market. Uh, and you will see even more rapid wage inflation. Mm-hmm. It's just naturally going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Toronto, Linda, and on another report from CBRE, they have Toronto at the third best city out of a few dozen North American cities for attracting and growing talent. We're at number 12. Is there anything we can learn from Toronto? Or are there certain things like, say, the fact that they're our financial capital that we can't replicate here? I'm not sure. Well, I Toronto's a head office town. I mean, Grand Vancouver's an outpost still. It's 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 We're not considered as much of an outpost as we used to be. But when we when I talk to the young kids of this world who are heading from university into the world, um, Vancouver isn't a stop on their agenda right now. They're heading right right to Toronto if they want to stay in Canada. And I think that's because that's where, Allie, tell me if I'm wrong, that's where the big companies are happening. That's where it's all coming down. Vancouver's still a little too small. So we have a lot to learn from Toronto. For sure. I think it's, it's partially the types of companies that are going there. But I think probably the Thing that I'm seeing that's maybe a bigger contributing factor right now is there's better diversity there. Yeah. Better gender, gender diversity, especially. You have a lot more females in tech in Toronto than in Vancouver. And so, 
you know, just the numbers are, are such that you're just going to have more if, you know, females make up 50% of the world or 51% of the world. So you're, you know, if you have a, a larger percentage of females working in tech, uh, and Vancouver, I think, is the lowest in North America yeah. as a percentage. It's very low. It's under 20%. Is it 12% or something awful. like yeah. that? Yeah, embarrassing. So that, that doesn't help the numbers, right? And I think that's what we have to learn from Toronto and other markets that have a better gender balance. That's wonder, probably where I'd start. Yeah, I wonder why we're behind Toronto. Is it is it because they have a bigger population, and is that a yeah, factor? They might they might be doing more to to incentivize and retain talent as well. You know, people go to school at good schools out there, the Waterloo's of the world, uh, uh, U of T's of the world, and then they stay. Or some you know they're they're attracting people to stay rather than leave. I think a lot of people from Vancouver back in the you know in the day left for Silicon Valley and and or. Uh, didn't stay here at least they went they went to New York or somewhere else I know a lot of people I graduated with back many many moons ago I won't say when um they they left they went to Ivy League schools There's in the US here. And, and and some of them are running startups in San Fran now or New York and running big businesses down there they never came back and the companies I, that stayed here were largely male dominated gaming environments the software environments yeah. those were all heavily heavily dominated Actually, I'm, okay, so I'm just going to say it. I'm coming up to my 20-year reunion for, <laughs> for, high, for high school. And I'm not actually, I, I don't know that there's that many people uh, that are left here in Vancouver when mm. I think about who's going to be at that uh, Well, reunion. 20 years ago in Vancouver, it was a ghost town for technology almost, wasn't it? It was tough to stay here. Let's put it that way. You were, mu- you were, you were pretty much guaranteed to do better anywhere else. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if that's the answer though, to Haley's question. It's just, it's, it's sort of dragged on and on and it mm-hmm. hasn't changed. Not much. It's still a tough place for young people to decide to base their career. And and as we're going to see, some of these small companies are going to begin to get priced out of the wage market because of the apples coming in and, as Ali said, bumping up prices. So we have an unsettling future as as the big companies start to roll in. That's right. But will we ever be a Toronto? No, no, it's uh, it's just a different scale. Um, And I don't think we have the infrastructure or the will of the government or even probably a lot of the people yeah. that are that are remaining here to do that. Right. It's just, uh, I think it, the lifestyle doesn't support it right. either. Yeah, I can feel a little lonely out west. That's right. Federally <laughs> at times, a little isolated. Linda, Ali, thank you both for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Linda Fakas, CEO of Glue Technology Society and Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also listen to all of our archive of shows over at BIV.com slash audio. For more business news, visit BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 